Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Kareen Eldor. Ever feel like you're playing small? Well, turn up the volume on my podcast, Share a Voice. Every Thursday, I sit down with the wave makers and game changers on everyone's radar. I'll be sharing inspo and takeaways based on my conversations with disruptors, visionaries, and compelling creatives about how they express themselves in their work. Prepare for tons of mic drop moments and subscribe so that you catch every soundbite. I'm fascinated by the power of feeling heard and taking up space. And I'm amped up about sharing these conversations with you. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole. And each week, I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. So today I decided to do an episode that really just stemmed off of watching the Britney documentary over the weekend. I asked my friend Bailey to come on because we just have so many thoughts about it. Now, the Framing Britney documentary was done all about her conservatorship that involves the control that her father has over her estate, her decision-making, and so much more. It has stemmed off of the hashtag Free Britney movement, which happened largely via social media over the last couple of years and gained a ton of attention after TikTok got hold of it. And it became one of the biggest question marks of 2020 and earlier, which is what's really going on in Britney's life and world. I will confess the fact that this episode might feel all over the place, but we land in a really, really important messaging near the end. And I really hope that if you don't know this story, that you take time to learn about it, to read about it, and not just brush it by, because this is one of those stories that has taken place over the last 30 years, but more so over the last 15, and really has something to do with all of us. And yes, I mean, absolutely all of us. So I hope you enjoy this episode as we dive into and dissect all about framing Brittany. Enjoy the show. All right. So we are recording this bit of an emergency podcast episode because Bailey and I both watched the documentary on framing Brittany and we have to talk about it. You can't just let it go. Not only that, but we're now like a Canada source of information on this because they took down the video. 
Did you know that? They took it down. I know. This is only because you told me this is crucial. Honestly, I feel so bad because I was like, Canada, here's how to watch it. Here's how to find it. And then 12 hours later, my inbox is flooded with people being like, I can't find it. It's not there. And we realized it's been taken down because of copyright things. So we technically watched it in this small window of Canadian time where we were allowed to know the information and then it was gone forevermore. So, okay. First of all, Bailey, who are you? Let's give a little intro so we know who's talking. Who am I? I'm that girl that sends cardboard cutouts of herself to Sarah. And I send you um, wet potatoes yeah, in her- return. <laughs> That's basically our friendship summed up. Now I'm the girl that you met on the internet and now we're best friends. And I am a podcaster. I have an agency. I'm a dog mom. And you're so stylish. I make you send me links for basically everything I have to wear. I honestly wouldn't own half the things I do and know how to dress half the things or know what's in style for somebody who like you're younger than me, but I like to just consider that I'm the same age, but it like age appropriate where I shouldn't even say age appropriate. That's not even a thing, but it does help me as like a woman, professional mom slash all of these other things, but to find things that actually are functional things to wear because you're just somebody who loves a functional outfit, but it's also really cute. So it works out. And sometimes I get your leftovers and you mail them to me across the country. Yeah, I do that. Did you buy your platform Converse? No, they're in my cart though. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it after this call. Do it. I'm such a cheapskate and they were $10 cheaper somewhere else, but they were out of stock or I could buy them for $10 more and just buy them. So I need to take the plunge. It might've been a currency oh, though. Fair. Look at the currency that the cheaper one was. I guess I feel like I've never owned a pair of Converse, but I was really just drawn in. There's so much in your feed. And I was like, okay, I would never really think of those because they seem a little bit of a different style for me. But every single time I see you style them, I'm, I'm realizing, you know what? they actually do look good. And you know what? We're going to Google right now. We're going to check if Brittany wears Converse. It's coming up with a lot of Uggs that she's wearing. I'm not seeing any actual Converse. You know what? Her and K-Fed did wear them together. I'm going to show you on the screen, but her and K-Fed in a blazer and denim. You know what? She's just iconic, but let's get into it. So the documentary was done by New York Times, came out on Hulu, I'm also going to say that everything we pass on, we're not legally going to be held liable for um, because we're just literally chit-chatting. I'm just terrified of everything now. So I'm just like, you never know. Her team is so big. What if they, I don't know how those podcast girls, like they are amazing. There's this whole podcast and they were Mm -hmm. part of the documentary all about the Free Britney movement and where it's come from and where it's gone. So to give you my own personal history, I've been a diehard Britney fan since the beginning, but ashamedly so at the very, very beginning, like I was very embarrassed to like her and I kind of like hid my love for her. Boy bands were such a thing. Like I was the same way. I was such a Britney fan. I had Britney posters, but like everybody's in the backstreet and in sync. So when you said you were a Britney fan, it was like, oh, you're not into the like, what's wrong with you? Yes, exactly. It was cool to like the Backstreet Boys and to like sync, but to admit that you liked Britney Spears was a bit of a weird one. Spice Girls was kind of in that same category, right? Like the, mm-hmm. you liked them, but they were kind of like how my kids today would deny liking Hannah Montana, even though we all know that they probably want to sing along to the songs if when they were on TV. But I remember I was, I was giving my daughter a speech the other week because she was talking about liking something and like how everyone like kind of teased about it. 
And I was like, just own the stuff you like. Cause I'm like, you know what happened to me when I was in the eighth grade is I had a Britney Spears CD, but I talked about how much I didn't like her. So when a friend was over and she was like, oh, you have a Britney CD. And I was like, yeah, I don't really like her. I just have it. I don't know why. Like I just bought it at the beginning. Cause I like this one song, but I don't even care. I, I cared so much. Anyways, this friend was like, oh really? Like, can I have the CD then? And I was like, I had to give it away and I didn't have like a plethora of extra money to go buy a new one. So I actually gave away my Hit Me Baby One More Time album because I was ashamed to say that I loved her. But then time went on and I was just getting really loyal to almost a bit of a fault where when she was going through the K-Fed stage, everyone was very much of, and I feel like we do this with musicians or at least this used to be the way that gossip ran was it was all about what have you done for me lately? So they were easy to mock. They were easy to tear down until they had a new hit song. And then you had to find a reason to like them again because you liked their music. I've seen this happen with Miley Cyrus. We've seen it happen with Christina Aguilera. We saw it happen with Britney time and time again. And I remember in 2007, losing my mind in defensiveness over her. And I'd been following the story. I bought, I I worked at a pharmacy at a time and, and we used to read the magazines in between customers. So I was up to date on everything possible going on with her. So this resurgence now in 2021 of everything that happened, it's just resurfaced all of these feelings. And I think for a lot of people really opened our eyes to what the heck really went on and why we can't really ignore this anymore. hundred percent. I mean, I was definitely when the 2007 era kind of hit, like I was not as defensive as you were. Like, I feel like I was with the majority where I was just like, what is happening to her? Like watching the spiral, not understanding it because mental health wasn't a topic really then. I didn't understand how she had just been so set up to have this inner turmoil come out. And so watching this back and like seeing how it was all very toxic and just like, she had no chance. Like she had no chance. It's opened my eyes. And I feel like a lot of people, if they've seen the documentary or are learning about it are kind of in, like, I'm in that same boat as like the majority public. One of today's sponsors is one of my favorite things that supported me through pregnancy and now through postpartum. Not even kidding. I just grabbed one right now to bring beside me in my office. And that is the mama bar. Now, Mama Bar was created to support expectant and new moms through purposeful nutrition. It was founded by two moms out of Seattle, Washington, one a licensed mental health counselor and certified nutritionist specializing in pregnancy and postpartum health. The other, a working mom and advocate for women's health. Together, they are moms with young children with personal experiences through pregnancy and motherhood that helped inspire them to create the Mama Bar. Mama Bar was formulated, like I said, by a certified nutritionist that specializes in pregnancy and postpartum nutrition. So the bars were thoughtfully created to provide nutrients specific to the needs of pregnant and postpartum women, including iron, magnesium, zinc, and protein. It includes real food ingredients, mostly organic, no artificial ingredients, no vegetable oils, and they are sweetened with organic honey. And the ingredients were chosen thoughtfully to help support optimal milk supply, nuts, oats, flaxseed, dates, cocoa. It also contains pea protein, which is hypoallergenic plant-based protein. I find it really, really easy to digest. They're 
gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, GMO-free, and they are seriously delicious. I wouldn't be talking about them if I didn't personally love them myself. I will say that Mama Bar has made such a huge difference in my life because I didn't realize how much I needed easy on the go stuff to eat. Because when I was pregnant, I had so many food aversions. It was hard for me to get my nutrition in every single day. And now postpartum, I'm starving. I want to eat everything, but it's really hard for me to get things that are, you know, going to lend themselves to my recovery and to my milk supply and breastfeeding journey. So mama bar has been amazing because I can eat it one handed. I can eat it on the go. I don't have to think too much about it. It's been just such a great compliment to both my pregnancy and my postpartum journey. And like I said, Mama Bar was the last thing I ate before I went into labor. And I love that story because it just goes to show that even in the time where I was the most uncomfortable, had no desire to grab anything else, I grabbed Mama Bar. And so that's my own personal testament to how much I love it. And so today, Mama Bar is actually offering listeners, a coupon code. So if you want to go and visit mamabar.com, you can go and enter papaya at checkout and you're going to get 20% off your entire order. Now this is also risk-free because if you don't love it, they're going to refund you if you're not satisfied with your purchase. So like I said, www.mamabar.com, enter code papaya at checkout. You're going to get 20% off your entire order. Now let's get back to today's conversation. Yeah. And I remember back then, even the information that we were fed was very different from what we know now. I remember when she shaved her head, she had recently lost a family member. I want to say an aunt. And I remember saying like, well, she just is in grief. She's just in grief. It's just temporary. This is just grief. And then when you look back and you see the birth of her second child, she divorces two weeks later. Now we would look at that and be like, how did we not see that that was postpartum? How did we not identify that? And all I remember is turning on the TV that day and seeing Rosie O'Donnell on The View putting confetti out into the sky because she was divorcing K-Fed. There was so much celebration around the downfalls in her life because we saw KFED as an issue. We saw this as an issue. And I wish they had talked a little bit more about their relationship, probably for legal reasons they couldn't, because given the circumstances now, he has priority custody of the children right now. And he's, it sounds like he's done a fair bit to really step up in the role for the kids, which is not the painted picture that we had all those years ago that we blamed him for her, her, for her downfalls and for her problems. But I will say that the biggest shocker for me in the documentary was how young she was sexualized and how much mm-hmm. that played in. So I'm going to play this like little clip that I saved. That was like one of a ton of different clips that we saw where she was that she was 10 years old there. The host of the show being like an elderly man asking, saying to her about what pretty eyes she has and does she have a boyfriend at age 10? What about him? Like, is he an acceptable person for her? What to date? Like it was so creepy. And then it went into the interviews about her boobs and her body. Even the one that really bothered me was, are you a virgin? Was asked at an open press conference. 
And Mm -hmm. I kind of forgot, you know, and it's not that she's the only one this happened to. The Jonas Brothers went through this when they announced their, you know, abstinence. And we were obsessed with virgin culture, like just this, what was their, what were they doing behind closed doors all the time? What was your kind of impression and take on all those little clips we saw in terms of not just what was going on in Britney's world, but how much we contributed to it? I mean, it's so interesting because I feel like no, like, I mean, we saw it with Taylor Swift too. I feel like a bit, I definitely died down from Britney's era, but like she, I think was someone who like, she didn't answer back and that shifted the conversation a bit, but like, she's so young. There's so much pressure being a teenager in its own, like to have that pressure from like media and press and then be dissected. Like I just can't imagine. I think like I growing up had such a hard time navigating. Like I think every woman does like your sexuality and like stepping into feeling sexy. And like, there's some shame behind that. And that comes from like that outside like perspective that people put on you. Mm. And so I, I like felt for her in that moment because I don't, I would have crumbled faster. Like just watching this whole documentary, I just would have crumbled way faster. Yeah. And, and to see the media relationship with her and then it goes into the paparazzi relationship with her, which they, they state how much paparazzi are making. I think it was stated that they make between a hundred and $150,000 for like a good photo, making up to seven to $8 million a year, which were some of the ones that followed her a lot were saying that they were making they seem to want to say that they cared about her and that they knew her and that she wanted them there. But as it went on and as it got to show, they were just like slowly, like it it was just such an infringement on everything she was. I even know like, gosh, hold my baby a weird way. And I get like hundreds of messages about, you know, what kind of a mom I am. And she had those types of things plastered on the fronts of magazines for everyone to see. When I was a first time mom, I remember my daughter fell off the couch because I went to the bathroom and came back and she decided that that's the moment she learned how to roll and rolled off the couch. Nobody ever had to see that. Nobody ever had to be a part of that. But me, that was my own thing to digest. And now like for her, it was so amplified. And now we have this like small taste of it. And we've seen how much mental health struggles when we are having our lives kind of put on blast like that, or when now in the age of social media, so this is before all of that. And we see her kind of like start to break down through all of that. And then in 2007, when the whole head shaving thing happens, she then has a manager who the parents, after feeling like she is being too controlled by him, managed to get a conservatorship, which is what this entire documentary is all about is this conservatorship. Before we jump into the conservatorship, I want to ask you, because when she shaved her head in 2007 and watching the documentary, I just, this stuck with me and it actually made me think of you because she said, I'm just so sick of being touched. I don't want people to touch me. And she was a new mom, shaved her head. And I was just thinking like, how was that for you? Like watching it? Because like you have Lemmy, like, I'm sure she's like you and I've had conversations about this. Like she's always touching you. Like you get touched out. So like, I can only imagine. I don't know about you, but lately I've been having a really hard time finding the right words to express myself. I've struggled in my writing more than ever. Perhaps it's because I'm just burnt out. Maybe I'm tired, or maybe it's just because life tends to blur together between messages, documents, emails, messages, 
text messages. I mean, written stuff, blogs, Instagram, it all just starts to get a little overwhelming and it can start to kind of sound the same. And I found that with myself, I don't want to sound repetitive. I want to level up my writing. That's where Grammarly Premium comes in because Grammarly Premium gives you real-time insights and guidance on tone, word choice, clarity, and so you can communicate more clearly and more confidently. That is so, so key. Grammarly Premium has helped me elevate my writing by suggesting different language, helping me structure sentences that I know I can feel more confident sending, especially when you're sending something off that you know somebody that you really respect is going to be reading. You don't want to have anything go wrong in it. You want it to stand out. You want it to come across with really great vocabulary and clarity. Some of the things that you can expect, like I said, are clarity suggestions. It's a feature that makes your sentences clear, concise, and crisp by cutting out unnecessary words and redundant words. I'm really bad for redundant words, so that was a really helpful one for me. Next, vocabulary suggestions. Avoid overused words and redundancies to keep readers engaged. Expand your vocabulary and replace boring or bland words with more exciting, effective, and memorable ones. I have been amazed how intuitive, Grammarly is and how easy it is to integrate into your writing style and your life, essentially. So I really encourage you to level up. Grammarly Premium is going to help you write like a pro with advanced real-time feedback. Level up your writing for work, school, or in personal projects. Premium features include advanced suggestions on grammar, punctuation, sentence structure, and style. It's the perfect writing tool for anyone who wants to stand out with every word. Harness the power of Grammarly on every platform with their desktop editor, browser plugin, and mobile apps. Improve your writing on all your favorite sites and apps. Outlook, Gmail, Twitter, LinkedIn, and more. Don't just say it. Make a statement with clear, flawless text that's sure to impress. Grammarly is not just here to correct your mistakes. It helps you build up your skills as a writer. And as somebody who has used writing as such a tool to get across messages, to build my career, to build up my writing, build my blog over the last 12 years, I can tell you, I started as a really poor writer. It wasn't that I was suddenly this amazing writer and had all these amazing ideas and incredible vocabulary. It's through tools like Grammarly Premium that have really helped me elevate myself throughout the years. So right now you can elevate your writing with 20% off Grammarly premium by signing up at Grammarly.com slash papaya. That's 20% off Grammarly premium at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash papaya. When it comes to investing in yourself, it can be really easy to talk about face masks or, you know, the next great thing in skincare or, you know, your home decor. But what about investing right back into you yourself and everywhere that happens? Grammarly is one of those things that you can invest in that not only elevates your career, can elevate your social life and give you confidence in just those everyday communications and interactions. And I hope it serves you as well as it served me. Now let's get back to the show. It was a new language for me to say touched out. That was that was something that I saw on like a postpartum page somewhere. And it was the first time I ever really understood how to put to words what it is that I was feeling and to be able to communicate it really, really easily to the people around me or even just to justify I need to put the baby down and walk away for like even five minutes because 
we do have this pressure on us. And I think a lot of moms do, or a lot of people who are in very high social situations or even job situations, there's a point where you start to just feel like, oh my gosh, what is even my own anymore? Like, I just want to, just to give a little bit of context right after giving birth, I went upstairs and like went pee by myself and then got tucked into bed. And I remember that night I said to Shane, I just want to lay on my stomach for five minutes. And those moments are incredibly important, even five minutes. So I can't imagine in her world, how old are her kids? They would have both been born by then, right? Yeah. Cause they're older. We had pregnancies around the same time. I was pregnant with Maya when she was pregnant with one of the boys. And I remember being really obsessed with her pregnancies, but I know that there's so much unidentified when it comes to the postpartum season or just in life. And touched out is one of those things that, yeah, like when, when she talked about that or even the shaving of her head, it just made, it almost made sense to me. Like I think nowadays, if a woman shaves her head, we wouldn't see that necessarily as a mental breakdown. We would see that as a take back of their life or an ownership over something. And I feel like it was both. Like for her, I do feel like it was in a way, a way for her to create distance between that touch all the time. And I think it also was a way for her to show everybody that she was still in control. It was still her. It is still her decisions. She could take a razor to her head and shave off her hair if she wanted to. And at the same time, it gave a little bit of a glimpse into how much she was truly struggling, which is why I think now there is such a mass call for all of those images to be taken down. Think about it. Think about any mugs I've seen, t-shirts I've seen, everything that says, if Brittany could survive 2007, you can get through this week. And it always kind of sat weird. Like, why are we still making fun of this girl over something that happened in 2007? Everybody else kind of gets to walk away from their life and like move on past embarrassing things. She really didn't. Like it is part of history. And what bothers me is whenever we've seen other artists kind of go through these phases, we often lose them at the end of it. And I think that maybe because of the Whitney Houston's, maybe because of, you know, a lot of these iconic people before we're starting to kind of feel like maybe it's time that we actually all step in. And, and that is a little bit of a weird feeling because when the free Britney movement started, I did feel a little bit like, does she want this? Is this us just putting more pressure on her? Are we still making fun of her in the way that she's online? And yeah, like it's, it's a, it's a bit of a weird shift for me, but yeah, to go back to it and kind of just dive into the fact that this is the first time we've ever heard of a conservatorship. I didn't even know that was a thing. And to be honest, I knew that she was under it, but I didn't understand what it meant until the free Britney movement. And essentially it means that her money, her relationships, her, even her driving everything. However, as of right now, and based on the understanding it says that she has refused to work until the conservatorship is lifted, or at least her father is removed from it, which is a bit confusing because I think that we've seen her in what appears to be a rougher state in the last couple of years. However, or I would just say more fragile state in the last couple of years. However, when the conservatorship began, she went on to be on How I Met Your Mother she went on to have a Las Vegas show. She went on to be a judge on the X Factor. So how is this somebody who was so mentally un, like incapable of making financial decisions as easy as getting in her car and going to an In-N-Out and grabbing a burger, but yet she can be put onto stages. She can do three shows a night. She can pull a million dollars a week. 
memorize choreography like all of this how does that like that's where I don't get it because I'm like if your brain can memorize choreography like three hours worth of like dance moves and numbers and like stage left stage right like how is she and like lines like for how I met your mother like how is that mentally incompetent yeah. And it, and how did that happen just months after that was set in place? And then how are we now in 2021? And there's a lot of rumors out there where people are saying that she's refused her meds and that's like a big reason why there's different things, but I don't really want to speculate while these things, a lot of times when I go on her social media, I honestly just see her trying to just do whatever makes her happy. She's not coming on angry. She's not coming on violent or she doesn't seem dangerous to me whatsoever. She just seems very simple. And like, she's trying to enjoy life, the life that she is allowed to have, which is basically in a house all day long. Like think about how much we've all struggled in the last year. And that's been Brittany's life for how long. And, oh, we're taking your kids away from you too. They didn't even talk about, or maybe I missed it about the fact that her son has a um, restraining order against the grandfather. Oh, I think they did briefly talk about it um, because there was a physical altercation. Yeah. Taking another pause to talk about one of today's sponsors, which is HelloFresh. You can get mouth-watering seasonal recipes with pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, which is Canada's most recommended meal kit. HelloFresh makes cooking at home simple, planned, delicious, so you can enjoy cooking again. I don't know about you, but right now is just that season of life where I ordering my groceries to my doorstep. I'm ordering food to my doorstep. I'm having a lot of waste. I'm having a lot of food waste. And so meal kits can really step in and help you get back into cooking in a way that is planned, that is done for you. It's delicious. And it has those pre-measured ingredients. So you're not having all that waste. Meal kits have really helped me through the last year and, you know, helped our family. HelloFresh's recipes are actually so delicious. You can try new recipes. You can also learn new cooking techniques and enjoy new tastes every week with HelloFresh's ever-changing menu. There's something for everyone with world cuisines, vegetarian cuisines, beyond meat options, which is vegan, seasonal favorites, 20-minute meals, and more. HelloFresh's culinary team creates delicious recipes with customer feedback in mind, reading every comment before they work their magic in the kitchen to create new recipes or bring back your favorites. And you can enjoy a flexible meal plan. I know this can be really intimidating when anybody sees subscription, but your subscription is completely flexible. You can schedule your delivery days or skip a week anytime. You're only going to order what you want when you want with no commitments. You can also add extra meals to your weekly order or throw in yummy sides like garlic bread. We add extra meals just so we can have great leftovers for lunch the next day. And HelloFresh really does help you eat more sustainably because everything is pre-portioned with the ingredients. There's less prep for you and less food waste. The packaging HelloFresh uses to ship their food is almost entirely made from recyclable and or recycled content. So it's going to make your family dinners easy. Discover a better cooking routine with all the meal planning done for you, the shopping, the prepping, and dinner is solved for those busy weeknights with HelloFresh. They also have kid-friendly recipes that are guaranteed to please even the pickiest of eaters. I know I've got a couple of those. Right now, you can enjoy $80 off your first three weeks of HelloFresh, including free shipping, by going to hellofresh.ca slash papaya6 and enter code papaya6. 
That's hellofresh.ca slash papaya six. And you're going to enter code papaya six. Hopefully that helps you in your meal prepping in your life and in everything going on for you right now. And you enjoy those yummy meals as much as we have. Now let's get back to the show. He's a co-conservator. So they have like a half win. So he's still a part of it. How do you feel about her Instagram? Do you think that she's sending messages? I think if we wanted to see that, we could see it because I look at her Instagram and I will be the first to own this because I think that like a lot of people need to own it. Like I used to look at it and make fun of it because I didn't understand what she was going through. And like, I am embarrassed to say that, but I think that's part of learning and like how you actually come to like have compassion and empathy and like learn and understand someone and what they're going through. But I look at it now and I just see this like pure human who like is still under there, who's gone through all this shit. And is just like, like you said, like simple, like she, she was just like a Louisiana girl. Like when you look back at those first videos of her, like she was so soft-spoken, so gentle. And like, I see that side of her still in there, Mm -hmm. but like also kind of heartwarming to see that little glimpse of like the old Britney still in there. And that's the thing is that a lot of people see it as strange or the way that her hair is or the way that her, and I'm like, do you not remember? Like, this has always been her. This is the girl who Mm -hmm. has always been like, I don't care if I'm wearing shoes or not. And what's funny is it's such a family thing. I just saw a picture the other day because Jamie Lynn, her sister, her daughter just had an accident on like an ATV or something not long ago. And she shared a photo on her own Instagram of them leaving the hospital. And Jamie's literally leaving the hospital. Jamie Lynn is leaving the hospital barefoot. And I was like, oh, she is such a little Brittany. Like this, Mm -hmm. there is that bit of a personality that seems to be there. That is such a rooted part of their childhood. That is this kind of like very relaxed and, and it played so much into her life it played into why she had her son in her lap in the car that one time, because that's what she grew up with. She grew up in a very simple place and then was thrust into something so much bigger and so much more beyond her. But I can't help but talk about the Justin factor here. Like I just came off of watching Palmer. So in my own defense, I was very soft on him. And I will say this, this is not a canceled culture type of thing. This all happened like 20 years ago. So we can only hope that this is not something that maybe would happen today. But essentially in the documentary, they talk about the fact that after their breakup, Justin took control of the storyline, control of the situation, basically regardless of what happened, made it public that Britney was somebody who cheated. If you remember Crimea River video, he had a lookalike come in and act as a cheater that he's kind of like following around and witnessing her cheat. And that that storyline was directed and created much of the pressure and the persona that people gave Britney, which was that she now had crossed over from this all-American sweetheart virgin to a slut. And they they used that word. And it was honestly such a moment for me because I never saw that before. I never saw that because of the way that the breakup was played out and because of Justin's role in it, mm-hmm. I think in my head, I was like, whatever, if you were cheated on, like you kind of have the right to do whatever you want. And I take that back now. I, I take that back because it did damage her beyond what she could ever really come back from. That interview, I, I want to say it was with Howard Stern, but I don't think it was. I think it just sounded like a Howard Stern interview where he 
like admittedly comes out and like laughs about it. He's like, yeah, I got in her pants. And then like the media headlines that were there that like Justin was, I can't remember what magazine it was or what the exact headline was, but it was like Justin Timberlake, he's not so bad or something. And then it was like ellipses. At least he got in Britney's pants. Like that was a headline on a front cover of a magazine. Yeah, apparently. So I just pulled up another article here and it does, it does talk about, you know, the breakup and stuff like that. But also he was the one who outed that they had sex. He publicly basically said like when he was asked on the radio and I can't tell if it's Justin or Howard Stern, but they said, did you fuck Britney Spears? And he laughs and says, okay, I did it. Like, that's how he threw around their relationship in that way. It's like locker room talk, like just totally no regard for her or the consequences or her career or anything. Like, he knew her image. He knew, I'm sure, like the behind the scenes of the industry. Granted, it's different for females and males, especially in that time. But like, he knew what that would do for sure. And with this article that I have up now, it's it's a BuzzFeed article, but they did kind of touch on the fact that the narrative is very similar to the school quarterback and the high school slut. Mm-hmm. And that's basically how they came out from it is that that's how he looked and that's how she looked. And that was kind of ran with it. Now, they didn't really do a ton of touching on that entire thing. They mentioned it very, very briefly, but it was enough of an aha that Twitter went wild with it. Well, you think about it too, like his album, it was the one that had like Sexy Back came out and Cry Me a River. And like he got, he was doing sexier things. He came from a boy band that wasn't doing like skin and like makeouts and music videos. He also claimed to be a virgin and waiting till marriage. And he goes down this entirely different path because he's like that glorified quarterback as they're using. And she goes down a completely opposite path with like the exact same kind of personal growth into sexuality and she gets deemed the slut. She like people cancel her, even though cancel culture wasn't really like talked about like it is now it was cancel culture. Like she was being taken down. Yeah. And the only way you could recover was by coming up with a really, really, really good album that would kind of save you from that. This one tweet kind of says it perfectly. It was from lady in the Poconos says watching this Britney doc. Yes. 2020 in is the year that we publicly acknowledge that Justin Timberlake launched his career by slut-shaming Britney. He completely capitalized on their private relationship, dickhole. <laughs> like, it sucks, because, like, I just wish that he would come forward now and say, I handled that wrong. And I'm not saying that because he's being, you know, quote-unquote, canceled right now. I don't think he is. But I think it is huge to go back and look 20 years ago and acknowledge that that is what was happening with men and women in the exact same industry, in the exact same relationships with the same timelines and t- entirely different outcomes. And so as we kind of, you know, move forward into seeing the types of people that she dated after that and to see her relationship timelines, like she tried to do a lot of different, she had a lot of different relationships and we had something to say about all of them, which is why I think the Kevin Federline one was her huge kind of fuck you to everybody because she really just fell for this dancer and they had their own reality show. I don't know if you ever watched it. I certainly did. It was actually amazing. You would love them forever. I was devastated when they announced their divorce, to be honest. 
It was called Chaotic. And in it, that's when like they they sing the song. It follows like her pregnancy a lot too. And she sings the song to her baby. Like we're, I don't even know what the line is, but it's very, like I listened to it when I was pregnant this time and like bawled my eyes out. She has so much love for her children. And I think that becomes the heartbeat of her struggles because you can see her trying to kind of get control of that. And also her, her slip towards, you know, everything getting worse. Honestly, I think if she didn't have children, it would be a totally different outcome for her too, because I think that's just like what drives her in her life. Like you can see the love for them. The documentary where they show her, she doesn't hand back the kids during the custody schedule and she locks herself in a room with them. And all I could think about was if it were me and it were my kids, I understand a hundred percent why this is, was her reaction. Like I just, I get it. Like I even had a couple of weeks ago, Lemmy had jaundice and we, you know, we, we knew we might have to go to the hospital and, and I knew there was this potential of separation because of all the rules right now and everything. And I was just like, how do I put my foot down and say that I do not want to be separated from my child? And then when I watched that documentary and they really highlight that moment because I think for us, we've been watching this for 20 years. It's hard to place it all together and piece it into one package. Like this documentary did that was like in an hour and a half of showing you just the highlights of how tough this was. She was losing her children and then she fought so hard and it just made them lose them even more. At this point, I think she has 10% custody. That's what I heard last and I think she was under the conservatorship at that time too. So like, she's not even able to make her own decisions. Like that fear on top of the fear of losing your children. Like, what are you living for at that point? If you don't have your kids, if you don't have control of your own life. And let's look at her life now. She has a conservatorship that her father was controlling. Like now he's half controlling. Son has a restraining order against her father and she can't make decisions for herself. But it's too complicated. The second her children and her father had any type of a legal exchange, it should have been severed right there. You are now not able to represent both of these things. You can't have a restraining order against her son and actually, and also have control of her actions and her welfare or her decisions and everything. Like we can't sit here and say that that didn't impact not only her mental health, but like her, her custody struggles, like, which is seems to be a huge part of the, the last part of her life, right? The conservatorship even decides if she can have more children or if she can get married. I've heard that it has to do like who she dates, who she marries and all that. But it did say in this one article, Britney Spears wants to remove dad from conservatorship so she can have more children before it's too late. So I think it Aww. does impact if she can have kids and she's been with her boyfriend for a really long time. And people like to argue, you know, is he a part of this? Because if you are under a conservatorship, you have to have permission to date somebody. Then how is he not in on it? But she's also been engaged to somebody else before. She's had multiple other dating relationships. I don't know that. I feel like that maybe would be tipping a little bit too far. Sam also has been with her for quite some time, meaning that we've seen him. I I actually know somebody who they DM'd me about this, but they were at her concert and he was, so she was still in a performing state and he was in, he was in the front row or whatever watching. And they were like, you could see how much he loved her, how excited he was watching her perform. Obviously we don't know what happens behind closed doors, but I see a lot of love there. And this is before like she became who she is now that we see on Instagram, which I don't really know how to put words to what that is, but almost 
more simplified Britney, not this mega star that we've seen, oftentimes very childlike. It's hard to watch and it's also somewhat peaceful. I look at her and I like, I just see her so differently. Okay. But I have a question. Did you see her? Did you see her this week go on and say, did anybody see what was happening this week? And then she's like, pauses. And then she's like the Super Bowl. And it just seemed like she was acknowledging that she knew what everybody had just watched. She shows you she's really smart, but like not in an obvious way. Like she's like kind of like, yeah, no, I know what's going on, you guys, but I'm not going to directly say that. Like, I'm just going to acknowledge it in a little bit of a cryptic way to kind of like mess with you. And I love that. (laughs) Let me see if I can find it. I'm going to play it. We've all been waiting for last week. The Super Bowl. I was so excited, but honestly, I was rooting for Kansas City, but I was also rooting for the other team. So it was a little confusing for me. I love sharing. The moment we've all been waiting for last week. The Super Bowl. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like she's like the moment we were all waiting for last week, literally when her documentary dropped. She can't not know that. No, she has to know for sure. Like now I look at her Instagram post and like, what's she talking about? But I also like, I don't know, like maybe that's just reading too much into it because we want, like we're so curious. And I think that is just like a societal default. Like we just, this is like how we wanted to know everything about her personal life before. Like we're still reading into it. So I'm like trying to stop myself from doing that. But now, how do you feel about new music that's come out from her? Because this becomes a bit of a debate lately over the fact that because she's under this conservatorship, everything she's doing when she said that she's refused to work and they're bringing out all these old songs and releasing them, is it unethical for us to be participating in it or is it still supporting her? And I honestly don't know because even like I buy Britney t-shirts whenever I find them. And now in the back of my head, I'm like, who's getting the profit from this? Before it would have been all about like supporting the artist. And now you're kind of having to face the reality that her money isn't her money right now. Like say COVID wasn't a thing and she was still doing her Vegas show. Like I always wanted to go see that. I never understood the conservatorship. But like now I just feel like I would be going to watch like a caged animal in a zoo. Like I wouldn't feel right about it. Like I just feel like she's this girl who's going through... ABC, like she just has a schedule and she has no control over it. And I don't like, I don't want to support that. For those who don't know, like I'm a vegan, I'm not okay eating like an animal who's been like a cage. Why would I be okay watching this human be pushed onto a stage? That's actually a really, really strong and good comparison because I think that we've never really had to see somebody in sort of like this pseudo type of freedom where it's, it looks like freedom, but it's not, it, it seems like it is, but it's not. And, you know, there's been questions about whether or not she even has control of her social media. Her manager of social media has said that it is all her doing it, which does make sense why she's dropped out before, why she's kind of disappeared when she's been in different treatment centers and stuff. But, and I will say too, like a lot of people will, will throw things about the fact that this is like the side effect of, you know, hard drugs or things like that. And let's remember back in 2008, I want to say her manager at the time was accused by her mom of being drugged back then. So we have no idea when we talk about drugs and people doing drugs. I think that we also have to acknowledge that almost every type of substance use and abuse stems from something different. We both have learned this from Alexis Haynes recovering from reality you know, she talks about so much about the fact that, you know, substance abuse and things like that, there is a root cause, a root pain to all of this. 
So even the way that we talk about substance, I think I've really changed the way I look at it. Like when I mentioned Whitney Houston earlier and we're like, well, it was her drugs. Like it was this, it was that. And now you sit back and say, no, it was probably trauma that killed her. It wasn't drugs. She didn't die by drugs. She died by trauma in a life that was somewhat, you know, put on blast all the time. I think all of us in some shape or form have experienced some kind of trauma or like hardship in our life that we've had to like heal from. But imagine trying to heal in the public eye and having your trauma thrown back at you like every single day. Bailey, I was tired this morning and almost just like called off everything in my entire week because I was just like exhausted. And here's people having to get up on entire stages and perform three times a week and somehow be sound. Truly, truly amazes me to see the way that we have the way that we now talk about mental health and now applying it and and slut shaming and sexism and all of this stuff and now applying it to our past and bringing it into the future, which I think is what the Britney documentary did. I think for so many of us, it took so much of what we felt that we had, you know, kind of digested that we've kind of worked through when it comes to feminism and rights and all of these different things. And then it takes this one story and this one person to say, this is actually the society we were raised on. This is what it looks like in one big painted picture. And, you know, what are we going to do about that? Like, how are, how do we make sure this doesn't happen? I was literally holding my daughter as I watched the documentary. And I, all I thought was this is a girl who just started wanting to sing and wanting to be successful. There's nothing wrong with wanting those two. There's nothing wrong with aspiring to be a star. And the fact that it was that stardom that became the thing that took it all away from her. The vocal fry that she's had to go through. Yeah, she faked it. Hi, yeah. Like she always had humans around her and it's that constant. And I think we've all done it at some point in our life. Oh, someone else will handle that. Someone else will deal Mm. with it. Like she just kept getting overlooked as what she actually needed by all of these people. And like those people might be different kinds of people, but like it must be hard for them to look back and been like, shit, I could have been the person to help her. Really grateful that her old assistant was such a part of this documentary because at the end, she really says that she believes one day Brittany will tell her story. And I, and I think that that was saying more than she could have said, but I think it's, it's showing us that there is a lot more to this that any of us can possibly comprehend. And all we can do right now is truly be different. We have to be different. We have to be different about the way that we accept storylines in media. We have to be different about the way that we look at celebrity. We have to be different about the way that we treat people online and how we look at mental health. We also have to be different about the way that we treat a woman's body compared to a man's. The fact that we've seen countless amounts of male pop stars go through substance abuse and mental health, and they're just allowed to have that life. And yet this woman was not. Brittany hasn't, she's like 40 and she has no freedoms because what, she didn't stay in line? Like, what was it? Because why has there been generations and generations of male artists doing much wilder things, having bigger breakdowns, and we've never seen anything like this before? Why her? Why this? So I think that the way that we move forward from this documentary is by changing. I agree. I think it's all we can do. And I think if you, it's like anything, once you learn, if you choose to turn a blind eye, like that's on you. And that's, I don't know, that's, that's a conscious decision to not change. And I think that's dangerous for sure. 
heavy dose of reality with this story as well, which is chances are she does not get out of this at any time. And they were very clear about that in the documentary. And it kind of hits you with a, there's a fight here, but there's also a reality that is setting in for the fact that she might not get out of this. And, you know, hopefully it does turn in her favor and hopefully we learn from this. But ultimately, we don't know that we're going to see our redemptive Brittany ever. We might just always have to remember her for, you know, the time where she was doing what she loved to do because she loved to do it and that she was still free to do it. And who knows when that line stopped. I'm really glad that we had the conversation and I'm glad that it ended on the note of taking responsibility ourselves for our own roles in this because we consume the media. We consume it. We make it a part of it. We have those conversations. I really love that you touched on the fact that you were one that like mocked her. I I definitely mocked Christina Aguilera back in the day. So I've definitely dissected and decided certain things about her because I was team Brittany and you had to be on a team and that's the way we are. And and I think there was, there's just a lot to learn through all of this. And I'm really glad that we had the conversation that we needed to have even for ourselves. Me too. Thank you for inviting me on. I kind of forced you. I was like, we need to have this conversation. <laughs> Schedule the pod. When are you available? <laughs> I, tomorrow. It's due tomorrow. That's <laughs> how I roll. I love it. All right. Well, I love you so much. And for everyone, I know that you maybe can't watch it in Canada, but you can read tons of articles about what's going on. You can check out the free Britney hashtag. The documentary is called Framing Britney. It is playing on Hulu. And I just really encourage everyone to kind of like dive in and, and learn a little bit about the story and remove our judgments of what we thought of Britney and good or bad and really take a look at what's happened here and how we can be a better about the way that we talk about people and consume the media and these stories perpetuated, especially around women, whether it's social media or whether it's, you know, a celebrity of some form, or if it's the girl next door, just really understanding the depths of how damaging that can be, especially compiled up over 20 years and truly ruin somebody's life. So anyways, we love you, Brittany. If you ever listen to this, we love you. Yeah. We will see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.